0: Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you are socialized as a woman. Around here, we are all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode three. Hello, hello, my friend. Thanks for being here and listening. I am delighted that you have returned for another episode. And if you're just finding me, I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm going to do a basic what to expect episode. It is the episode with the information that I think everybody should be given in their early 30s so they know exactly what's coming down the pipe in the next decade or two when it comes to their hormones and their health. Just basic one-on-one information that simply isn't offered anywhere. People don't hear about it from their doctors unless they're seeking treatment for a symptom. And we certainly don't get this info in high school sex ed when we're supposed to be learning about how our bodies work and how to manage our reproductive health. So I'm going to do it today. Your basic 101, what to expect. Before we get into the episode, I want to offer my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and is not meant to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. For that, always consult your doctor or primary healthcare provider. I will get into some of the changes in body symptoms that people might experience, but first I want to talk about a few thematic things to consider. The first one is that the onset of perimenopause is often gradual and might start a lot earlier than expected. When people think about entering perimenopause, they often have the idea that one day their body will just morph into this hot, sweaty, moody, periodless state, and then they will be in it. And it makes sense because this is how many of us watched our mothers navigate it, where it just seemingly appeared all of a sudden. But there are often subtle signs that we can watch for that may indicate that this is on the horizon for us. A small change, a slight difference. For me, it was my sleep that gave me a clue. I'd been dealing with sleep difficulties for years at this point. And I had it mostly managed with lifestyle efforts and sleep hygiene practices, but about a year ago, I began to notice that after I ovulated in some months, not every month, but some months, I would start experiencing insomnia. And this was likely due to a decline in my levels of progesterone in the luteal phase, that is the post-ovulation phase, in some of my cycles. I wasn't getting my usual increase and growth of calming, delicious progesterone in the latter half of my cycle, and it was affecting my ability to sleep, sometimes. It was subtle and frustratingly unpredictable because it didn't happen every month reliably, and that's how it is for many folks. These changes, signs, and symptoms can slowly creep in and not necessarily be a problem all of the time, and this could be true for any of the perimenopausal symptoms. For me, it was my sleep that started to shift first, but others may have it happen differently in their bodies with different symptoms. So that's the first thing. It rarely happens in a way where one day out of nowhere, we just get bludgeoned over the head with a flare of symptoms. It usually comes on a lot more gradually than we think and starts earlier than we think it might. The second thematic thing that I want to talk about is just the unpredictability, which I highlighted a little bit already. The perimenopausal transition has almost no predictability, at least not at this time. Medicine and science still don't have answers for why there is such a wide age range in terms of onset, or why the length of the transition can vary so greatly. We also don't know why some people experience certain symptoms and others don't we might be looking at two years or we might be looking at 10 for this process. And we still have no means of accurately predicting or measuring how long it will take for an individual to navigate this experience in their own unique bodily context. The only thing that we can count on is that all of us will experience the transition at some point, though we don't know when or how it will play out there is some research in medicine that is looking at the connection between AMH or anti-malarian hormone and perimenopausal timing and experience. But at this point in time, this hormone level is being used more so in the context of fertility medicine to predict egg reserves and IVF outcomes. So let's talk about symptoms. And remember, we are mostly looking at this through the lens of a gradual onset we can use our first symptom as an example. I think the most commonly known symptom of perimenopause is the hot flushes, but it might not begin as the explosions of heat that we remember our mothers talking and let's face it, complaining about it might start out as, huh, I used to sleep with three duvets and wool socks at night and now I get a little sweaty at night during some parts of my cycles. Or yeah, I need to sleep with a fan on now. Or maybe just I'm no longer that person who's always turning up the heat in the office when everybody else seems perfectly comfortable at the temperature that it's set at. Full-blown hot flushes are pretty common in perimenopause. They do vary in length, intensity, and frequency, and this can change over the course of a person's perimenopausal transition. It also varies greatly from person to person. They often begin to appear at nighttime, but tend to become unpredictable and can happen at any time of the day or night. That's so fun, right? (laughs) Another sign that I want to mention is that most people experience a gradually increasing irregularity in their menstrual cycle. It's actually not very common for periods to abruptly stop all of a sudden. For most people, the process looks like cycles that gradually lengthen and shorten over time. The periods themselves can vary as well in terms of heaviness, pain levels, PMS symptoms, and the quality of the menstrual blood itself how thick it is, how red it is, the consistency. The next sign is mood changes with the variations in hormone levels, sleep quality, and other factors. People can experience an increased risk for depression or anxiety at the most severe end of things. And at the less severe end of things, it can simply be an increase in frequency of irritability or experiencing negative emotions in general. The next sign is vaginal and bladder issues. And again, this will vary from person to person. Some folks will experience severe symptoms and some will have none at all. Due to a decline in the hormone estrogen, vaginal tissues can experience a decrease in lubrication and elasticity, which can mean a greater susceptibility to vaginal infections or urinary tract infections. It can also mean that intercourse or vaginal penetration of any kind might be painful or uncomfortable. The next sign I want to mention is that people might experience a change in lab values when they do blood work with their doctors. Experiencing a change in cholesterol levels or levels of bone density are both common during the perimenopausal transition. And again, we don't have the means to predict length, intensity, or onset of these changes on an individual level. We already mentioned insomnia and sleep difficulties, which is a common part of the perimenopausal transition and one that I am intimately familiar with, but honestly, it's one that's not talked about a lot or people don't even make the connection between insomnia and perimenopause. Other symptoms that people can experience during their transition are a decrease in energy levels or an increase in joint pain. And of course, which we talked about in episode two, a change in body size, body weight, and body fat distribution. In episode two, I unpack all of the reasons why all of these things happen, why it's difficult for people to experience this change in body fat distribution and amount, and how we might want to think about it differently. If you haven't listened to the episode, I highly recommend that you do. I'll put it in the show notes so you can find it easily. So here's the main message that I want to leave you with today. During perimenopause, many people may or may not experience some or all or any of the signs and symptoms that I spoke about during this episode. The intensity, frequency, and duration of these signs and symptoms can change over time and from person to person. And this is because human bodies are human bodies. They do weird and wonderful things. They're unpredictable. And there's so much that we don't know yet about how they work. The last thing I want to talk about a little bit is when you might want to seek consultation from your healthcare provider for these symptoms. First, I want to say that you can seek a consultation in care simply because you want to. If you are experiencing symptoms that are affecting your quality of life, that in and of itself is a valid reason to seek help, period. And if your primary care provider brushes off your concerns or dismisses you or doesn't know how to help, please seek a second opinion. That is your right. And another thing that I want to highlight is that when you experience variations in your menstrual flow, frequency, and volume, this can simply be a normal part of this transition. However, I want to highlight a couple of things that might be cause for you to reach out to your doctor. If you experience bleeding that's very heavy, that is you're changing your tampons or pad every hour or two for two or more hours in a day, or bleeding that lasts longer than seven days, or a full bleed that occurs between periods that is more than spotting, or periods that regularly occur less than 21 days apart, then this might mean that there's something medically going on with your reproductive system. So please see your doctor sooner than later to rule out things that need urgent medical attention, because those things, if they're there, are usually going to produce a better outcome if they're caught as early as possible. So your work in this process, my friend, is simply to notice what's happening in your unique and wonderful body and then advocate for what you're needing at the time, which is something that we will talk at length about in future episodes. That's what I have for you today, my friend. I'll be back next week with another episode. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want some more of this goodness, then you want to check out my perimenopause body image confidence starter pack. It's a little collection of simple tools that you can start applying today to help you feel more confident when it comes to your body as you navigate the perimenopausal transition. It's free and it's available to you right now. Just head to michellecapular.com forward slash starter to download it for free today.